You are listening to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, episode 35, Killing Comfort Zone. Welcome to Behind the Pulpit Podcast, a podcast designed to grow young ministers. This is Tim Lucas, and with me today in our grand, opulent, shining virtual studio is Nigel Ali and Ryan Goff. How's it going, guys? Hey, man. Doing great. Doing great. Doing good. I can't wait for another descriptive word that you're going to use. It's like every every episode, I'm just waiting to hear that new word. I'm going to have to pull out the thesaurus or something because I'm running to the edge of my uh, well there. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be able to find some. You, you'll conjure up something. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A conjure. Oh, that's a good word. I like that word. So today we are talking about killing comfort zone. I found this quote by Roy T. Bennett. He said, "You never change your life." Until you step out of your comfort zone, change begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I think that's a very powerful statement. We all know that we go through these periods of expanding our comfort zone. But really, actually, that phrase I just used is a great description because when we get outside our comfort zone, that really is just expanding our comfort zone. And so you have to get outside of it again, or you settle into the comfort zone, and it's just this same thing over, and you don't have different results. We've often heard it said, and I actually don't think this quote is accurate. It says, doing the same thing will get the same results, and thinking otherwise is the definition of insanity. Well, I don't think that's true, because sometimes you're doing the right thing, and it's just as a cumulative effect where it eventually works. Um, you know, you you hit you hit a wall with a sledgehammer twenty times and it doesn't fall down. Well, that doesn't mean you stop hitting it with a sledgehammer because eventually it's going to fall down. Um, but there's some wisdom in that, and so we have to get outside our comfort zone. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, there's kind of a significant event in some of my friends and Nigel's friends. Ryan, I think, knows of them. Former ABI students. Um, we'll protect their anonymity, um, since I don't have permission to tell this, but pretty soon after uh, releasing episode 34, which if you haven't heard, I would recommend going and listening. We talked about divine healing, and not long after, within a couple days, I think, of us releasing that episode, I saw on Facebook a a very hurried post that their two-year-old son had fallen and was unresponsive. I was at work, don't really have a job where I can get off alone, but God's presence and just this burden fell on me so strong almost immediately. And I just started crying, kind of got off in a corner. I started crying and praying. And the, the things I felt like I was being led to pray would indicate that it was not a small situation. Nigel, I know you shared right. with me, you had a similar right, response. Right. Um, your wife also, mm-hmm. and, and, and they were at the ER. And I know there's many people praying. And then I think the next morning, maybe a few hours later, we got an update that the doctor said, well, you know, after all our tests, it shows he just had a concussion. The, the dad that, you know, we know is convinced that he was miraculously touched. And I would agree. I feel like the, the way so many of us were led to pray would indicate there was you know, a serious situation that that possibly the life, the child's life was, you know, at stake. Um, But part of that also really hit home with me. 
how fleeting life is. You know, it could have been my son. It could be my son tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is painful as it would be that, you know, I, I could lose him. I think maybe this is the amount of time God has given me. You know, I, I start really thinking I, I need to do a better job. Of what? Being a dad. Yeah. Uh, being a pastor. Making the most of time, not wasting time, not wasting time on things that don't have any significance. It's, it's scary to think about losing a kid mm-hmm. or a wife or, or, or a significant person. It makes me think, you know, it's, I, I went through those same thoughts when, you know, when my cousin passed away. I think we had talked about it on yeah. our last recording. Yeah. Did we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Oh, we did. Yeah, I mean, it's just so sudden. I mean, no chance to say goodbye, at least in this world. And, uh, yeah. It's amazing how life just kind of just ramps up and it's just steam rolling ahead. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like what they say about, you know, taking time to stop and smell the roses. I mean, especially in ministry, you know, it's like you're planning right a month, two months, three months in advance. You're, you're plowing through the week and, you know, it's stuff like that kind of puts the brakes on everything. It makes you look at your kids and hug them a little tighter and, mm-hmm. you know, kiss them a little longer, wrestle with them. You know, for Silas, it's chase me. And so I'll chase him, <laughs> chase him a couple extra times, even though it's like the 15th time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know tonight I came home from work. I was so tired. And Judah's like, Daddy, let's play hide and seek. And I actually told him, I'm like, I'm too tired, buddy. But then I just, I was like, no, I can't not. And so we did. We played a little bit. He wanted to keep playing, of course. But, you know, because it's worth it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I don't want to live my life thinking this way. But if, you know, I lose him tomorrow, I don't want, you know, the last night to have said, no, sorry, I'm too busy. I'm yeah. too tired for you. That's <laughs> a know? kind of similar thing that happened today. We just... I'm on call and I I got called to work and all that and I I come home and these guys I told them we might go fishing today you know and it's yeah. like oh daddy let's go I was like ah uh, no I think we'll just do it another day then I just said no we uh, yeah you know six o'clock it was about to get dark I just went anyway yeah. <laughs> at least at, at yeah. least an hour we didn't. We know we didn't catch anything, but they got to throw it in. It was dark already, and uh, it just just keeping that promise, you know, made made a difference for them. You know, yeah. Well, and and to them, like they don't know any yeah, different. Right. That to them, that was not like a substandard fishing right, trip. Right. You know what I mean? Like that was an uh, adventure because we're fishing right, at night. Fish, yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and and it's so easy for yeah. us to make a difference mm-hmm. in their lives. You know, you're right. And, oh, man. and I need to do better. I'm trying to do better. I don't know how this slipped my mind when we were talking about updates, but uh, last Saturday, oh, man. First of all, it's the first time I've had to dial 911. Oh, my. Hopefully it's the last. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, up until this point in my life is the scariest moment, the scariest 15 minutes 
I've ever experienced. What happened was it was beautiful outside. I was in the backyard with Silas and Asher and I was holding Micah and Janine had gone to uh, practice or she was doing something. I can't remember what she was, but she was gone. Oh, she went to the grocery store. She wasn't going to be gone long. And we had the front door open because the kids have been playing outside and the, there was a we have this cheap baby gate that we put in front of the door and I'm out in the backyard and Silas says he was going to go get his shoes. <clears throat> so he goes inside. I'm outside with, I'm in back with Asher still and Micah. And it hadn't been but a few minutes and Asher wanted to go inside. And so I took Micah inside and uh, went in and I was like, Silas, he wasn't in the front yard. The baby gate, there's this wooden one and the, the lock on it had broke where it was like he had tried to step on it to climb over. His shoes were still there in front of the, on the front porch and he, I, he wasn't out playing in the yard. I didn't see him. Oh, man. He wasn't answering me when I was calling him in the house. So I go back to the backyard. I go to the side. I'm, I'm going around the house. The panic is starting yeah. to rise, even though yeah. our gate was closed. There is a way to get through it, but uh, he just was nowhere to be found. And mind you, he's never played hide and seek with me ever. This is what, yeah. this is what jogged my memory, Tim, when you said he played hide and seek. He's never played hide oh. and seek ever. He's never not answered me. He's never not, you know, answered when I when I call his name. And I start I'm starting to kind of freak out. Next thing I know, Janine pulls up in the car and she can tell by my face that something is wrong. And I'm like, I can't find Silas. And I, I couldn't believe those words were coming out of my mouth. I was like, I cannot find Silas. Oh, wow. So I'm running around the house, running around outside. We're hollering his name, screaming him. He's not answering. I'm checked under our bed. I kind of went in their room, looked under their bed, kind of at a glance, but he wasn't saying anything. I thought someone had either A, taken him, because there was no way he could get away that fast, mm. or he had crawled into some space and was choking, or God forbid he was dead, right? Because he is not answering me. So yeah. I'm running down the street in my socks. I I'm on the phone with 911, freaking out. Like I am. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Wow. Not okay. <laughs> oh man. And the 911 operator, she was super calm. She was like, you know, she was getting the description of him, and I, like yeah. all this is going on in my head, and I just cannot believe it's happening. I'm like, right. there's mm. how is this possible? Where is my son? And it, you know, you start having all these like nightmarish scenarios are just like crashing into your brain. Like it's, you know, like it just, they're coming nonstop and it's just making everything so much worse. And so I'm like, in my, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go inside the house. I'm going to check again. I've already been in there like 30 times. I've been hollering for him. I go into my bedroom, nothing. I look under the bed again. I go into their bedroom and I finally hear, I'm right here, Daddy. Oh, man. Oh. I was like, you know, because I'm like, I'm like, you know, bawling, like just, a, I'm a blubbering buffoon, man. I'm just like, I, you know, I'm in panic mode. And I was like, Silas? Are you, Silas? You know, and, and he had cr crawled under the bed, under his bed for whatever reason wasn't answering until he finally and he crawled out and I was torn I wanted to like 
<laughs> just, I want to just put the fear of God in him right there. But at the same time, I, I couldn't, like, all I could do was hold him. You know, I told, yeah. I, I told the operator, I'm like, you know, I'm like, he's here. I found him. He, he's here. He was hiding the whole time. And I hear her in the background, you know, she's like, they found him. It's okay. They found him. Oh, man. Guys, I got to tell you, that was yeah. the worst. The sheriff still, the sheriff still came by yeah, you and just yeah. and said hello. And, and, uh, you know, afterwards the cop left and Janine and I were looking at each other like, what do we do now? Like we had all these plans for the day. Yeah. It's like, I didn't feel like doing anything. I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was only 15 minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Yeah. Wow. I mean, time was just, it just was, it was crazy. I guess that actually happens yes. a lot. Like, I don't remember the statistics, but it's a huge <clears throat> amount of calls that are made for missing children that end up being found yeah. in the home. That's what the, the cops child said. Hiding. Yeah. 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 They're, like, they're not phased by that at all. Yeah. And it was just, it was weird because like I said, it, Silas had never done that. This was like, this yeah. is literally the first time he's ever hid from us. And not said anything. Yeah. This was out of his comfort and, zone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, good segue. Good oh, segue. I, I get the hint. Great Nigel's like, seg- move no. on. No, this is... Uh, <laughs> no, hey, that was a good story. No, that was a good was, story. Um, it's just crazy. Uh, so, and so today our topic is killing the comfort zone. Another quote by the same guy, Roy T. Bennett, in The Light in the Heart. He said, do not lie to yourself. We have to be honest about what we want and take risks rather than lie to ourselves and make excuses to stay in our comfort zone. How often do we do that? You know, and we have to, we, we all know it. I don't have to prove to you we need to get out of our comfort zone. But this episode really came from a blog post. Um, actually, my wife has a blog. It's called A Chosen Peculiar Mom. And it's, you know, more for, for moms in ministry and things like that. But this one post she made and just a couple highlights from it. Uh, she quoted from General Conference, uh, which we talked about in our last episode. Brother Bernard preached a message, and in it he said this, it only takes one intercessor to change the destiny of a city. Mm. And she kind of talked about how moving here for me and my family was very uncomfortable. And yet, at the same time, it's not that uncomfortable compared to say talking to someone in line at the grocery store or you know approaching that other parent it's a playground or something and for some reason we can convince ourselves to make big comfort zone jumps i guess but then we don't do the little uncomfortable things that are required to make a difference right we know the things that are going to bring revival prayer Bible study, fasting, mm-hmm. right? It's uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And then the other side of it's uncomfortable to put yourself out there, which really I think I was, I was talking with our church. We actually have been doing a, a, a series. So we finished our series. I told you guys on, on the podcast that we were doing Revelation, the seven churches. We finished that. We've started a series on Christian development. I'm following somewhat a curriculum my dad wrote. Well, we really got stuck on one point on pride, mm. and uh, we kept talking about pride, and uh, really felt to kind of stay there. And I said something, and I love when this happens. I heard other preachers talk about it before. They'd be like, "Well, I, you know, 
I should I should write that down. I didn't even think about it before I said it. And I was always kind of like, okay, cute, cute phrase. But that's kind of how it happened. I said it. I was like, wow, that's really good. And it's, you know, that we're not really, for the most part, afraid of failure. We don't have a fear of failure. We have a fear of failing in front of other people. <laughs> that's true. Yep. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I'm okay with failing as long as nobody finds yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and so really, that's a problem of pride. And you know, we don't want to be embarrassed, um, which is another topic. Maybe we'll get to that some other episode. I liked her point about just reflecting on how many times she's missed opportunities in the past after having that interaction with the young lady at the at the coffee shop. Um, yeah. Because that got me thinking about what uh, what I've missed out on potentially because we've all, you know, we've all been there. Brother Staten was preaching at our minister's conference uh, this just today and yesterday, and uh, he was sharing a testimony about, because we were talking about evangelizing, and he was teaching on equip, and he was giving his testimony about how he had been called uh, short notice to come preach for this, for this pastor. He didn't necessarily want to, but the guy was just imploring him he, that he needed to come there and preach revival for him, so... So he did, and he wanted a direct flight, but the only flight he could get went through New York. So he got in New York, he was waiting in line, and this little, this young Japanese girl, he said, was just standing there, kind of staring at him. And he's like, you got to understand, he's like, I was tired. He's like, I had my book and my snacks. He's like, I was just going to get on this plane. He's like, normally, because this is towards the end of the seminar, and he had spent all this time talking about how you know, being friendly and, and smiling and all this stuff. And uh, <clears throat> he's like, you know, so it wasn't like me, but I just, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that right then. He's like, I just, I was, I just had my mind made up. And he just, he's like, I told, you know, he's like, I just told Jesus, you know, not right now, not right now. So, so he says he gets on the plane, he gets tucked in. He already had to see the assignment. He gets in, he's got his own road himself and, he said, the door had closed. And he's like, okay. Gets it all set up. He said, then all of a sudden the door opens. And here comes this, this little Japanese girl. She's looking at her seat and, of course, sits right next to him. <laughs> so he started, uh, he was just like, you know, okay, what's going on? She talks to him. She brings up conversation with him and he kind of reluctantly was like, you know, you know what's his name? What's he, what does he do? And he says, he's a pastor. And she says, turns to him and says, what's a pastor? And he, it kind of, it touched his heart and he's like, okay, this is, uh, I need to, I guess, you know, all right. I'm, I'm, he's like, all right, God, I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to her. And so ends up pulling out his phone, showing him pictures of all these people that he has interactions with and, and, you know, telling her what it is. And she just was bawling because she didn't understand. Uh, I don't know what her life was like, but she just, she said, Oh, all these people, they, they all look so happy. And she's basically was saying that she doesn't have that in her life. And they prayed for her right there. He said, people that were listening nearby were praying for her. He said that she's actually in Japan and he's trying to, he said, I tried, was trying to hook her up with the Lucases, Tim and uh yeah i'm listening cool well i I thought of you when he said that because obviously he was talking about your mom and dad but it was crazy because you know that 
for him, that was, he had to kind of come out of his comfort zone. And what was crazy was he, he got to the place, he preached, for, he got there and he said that the, the pastor said that he was listening to the radio and he said he heard on the radio, call Staten. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what was that? I heard on the radio, call Staten. And so he, he gets on the phone and he's like, I gotta get him. I gotta get him. So he calls up Brother Staten and that, and he basically was saying that that, hearing that, maybe the whole reason for that, he's like, don't get me wrong. We had great church. We had, you know, he, I guess they preached them like the whole week. They had church every day and Saturday morning, Saturday yeah. night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. He's like, but maybe it was for me to meet Nina because the, the possibility yeah. of it was, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's a God thing, you know, yeah. it's, even though he didn't want to. And of course, I mean, God kind of like, I wouldn't say forced him, but right. you know, how many times do we sit next to people when we fly or when we're on the tri, you know, when we're on the yeah. max station or when we're on the bus, it's kind of cliche. You know, we talk about the coffee shop and the reality is, is that this is true. Like, they always yeah. talk about it, but mm-hmm. when are we going to start doing it? Right. Yeah. You know, even Jesus, I was thinking as you talked about that example, um, two specific examples come to me of very inconvenient times for him to minister. One of them was right after John the Baptist died. Um, you read about, it, Jesus actually tells them, it, it, his disciples says, let's go off, get off somewhere alone and... Um, I can't help but think that that was connected to John the Baptist's death, and he just wanted to, he just needed to process and kind of take some time, you know, and it's rough. And then it said the people saw him going away privately. He told his disciples, let's go away to a private place. The people see him going off privately, but they don't care that he wants to be alone. <laughs> they follow him. He teaches and preaches for days, ends up having him, he says, sit down. I got to feed him. And he's worried about them. Even though he's grieving, he's worried about them. And he says, feed him. And that's when he, you know, fed the multitudes. And, and the other time that stands out to me is on the cross. You know, he's dying. He's at more excruciating pain than we can imagine. You know, he's bearing the weight of the sin of the whole world, but he's concerned about his mom. He says, hey, John, take care of my mom. You know, and, and like... He's worried about ministering to them and, and to the, the, the thief on the cross. Like he takes time to minister to him. And it's just like, and then he's worried about the forgiveness of these guys that are putting him in the torture. Jesus was about ministering and we're supposed to be like him. And, and ministry happens at inconvenient times and, and it happens in uncomfortable ways. You know, and I think when I started talking or we were talking about this, I was thinking that the conversation would be more like do things we're not comfortable with. But I think this is a good direction that do things when it's not a comfortable time. Ministry doesn't happen. I'm sure, Nigel, you have a lot of experiences yeah. like that. Yeah, you just have to, uh, when it's not convenient to you, when you're done, you want to pack up and leave. And uh, I went one place and... Uh, I'm so tired. We preached in morning. We preached uh, two o'clock, then evening, six o'clock. You know, just and then went out with the pastor and all of that. And the next morning, uh, I'm I'm ready with my family in the van. And uh, he says, "There's a man. There's a young man 
that like to meet you at the coffee shop. You know, he wasn't in service, and uh, he'd like to hear your story. And uh, and uh, I was like, ah, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking at my wife, and we're we're tired. We want to just hit the road, go home with the boys. And I I tell my wife, I said. I got to do it. I just have to do it. I know it's so inconvenient. And I drove to that Starbucks. I stopped, went in there with my family in the van, you know, waiting for me. Probably for 45 minutes, I gave a Bible study to that yeah. young man. And he got baptized. And later, That's later awesome. I hear, he got wow. filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he is... He yeah. is uh, involved in the church and uh, if wow. i would have not if i would have said sorry man you can handle this i'm gone you know what i mean i you yeah. know god had orchestrated that appointment and sometimes yeah. just by obeying uh he can do something through your life you know i was just talking to a friend yes just yesterday he uh it's a young man. He's uh, probably thirty-three or something like that. Um, he started a church in uh, Massachusetts, uh, and he was just telling me that he went into that city with just him and his wife and two kids. You know, four people, and uh, he started just did not know anybody, did not know anything. And uh, so he just God started praying, and God led him uh, uh, to go to this street, you know. And he goes to that street, and uh, God says to stop at this basketball court, you know. And he's like, well, I thought you said go there, you know, go to that place, God. And his wife is like, what are you doing? I thought we were going down that road and you're stopping there. He said, no, I feel God told me to stop at this basketball court and talk to these guys, you know. And he's like, you know what? I just was so uncomfortable. I was like, man, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm going to disrupt their basketball game and uh, they're going to get upset at me. And, you know, but he could not get away from it. And he had to be obedient yeah. despite the... Uh, you know, yeah. being out of his comfort zone, you know. And so he stopped, talked to these guys, and they were not very happy. And he, you know, told them that he was a pastor. So they tolerated him for two minutes, you know. And uh, and did nothing happen. Got back in the car, probably less than five minutes, got back in the car and went to that marketplace that he was supposed to go. He gets off, gets off the van and... uh gets out and he sees a guy standing on the street corner of the marketplace and God says, go and talk to this guy, you know. And he goes and starts talking to this guy and, and the Lord, uh, the Holy Ghost says, just encourage him. And he keeps, you know, starts encouraging him and just, man, this is a you know, great day. God's got great things for you, you know. And and uh, he's like, I'm done with what I've got to say. And God says, encourage him. And he keeps Three or four times he just, and he kept encouraging him. Kept telling, and then suddenly this guy just started, just started bawling, you know, just started crying. And uh, long story short, this man was about to, he had bought uh, a bunch of crack cocaine and about to, uh, his wife had just left him. He was just about to go and commit suicide, you know. And, uh, and he was just telling me, he said, you know, if I was not, 
obedient to stop at that place where God right. asked me to stop, I would have missed this guy. You know, he would have been gone. Yeah. He was just the timing. God had to wait for the timing, and he, I had to get out of my comfort zone to do what God wanted me to do right. to meet this guy. And he saved his life. You know, he saved his life, and he's in the church today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, stuff things like that, you know, uh in in God's kingdom and economy, uh many times in human mind and human uh, thinking, we feel that getting out of a comfort zone is just not the right thing to do, but God has God yeah. has his purpose, you know. You know, in any scenario in life, the successful people are the people who are willing to get out of yes, the comfort yes, zone. Yes, yes. The successful athletes are the ones who are willing to get most right. uncomfortable. Um, you know, successful musicians are the ones who would go up. I very rarely are the successful musicians the best musicians. You know, now they were willing; they had to be willing to be uncomfortable and practice for hours. I get that, but beyond that, the the ones who who make it are the ones who are willing to be uncomfortable and put themselves out there. You know, and and ask for people to to help them out and stuff. And and the successful business people are people who got very uncomfortable and did a lot of very uncomfortable things. And I, you know, I've heard somebody. I've made it a point to try. Not I'm not very successful all the time, but any time someone asks me to do something that is uncomfortable for me, I try to do it. If for no other reason than to give myself an opportunity to grow. You know, I remember when I left Bible school, I was far more uncomfortable leading a service than I was preaching. Even preaching off the cuff, like I would be much, I would have much rather preached a service with 10 minute notice than do offering and announcements and all that stuff and introduce the speaker and all that. Um, I don't know, I just, I don't know, I wasn't comfortable and so I remember the first service, I was in San Diego, um, and he's like, hey, can you do the, you know, offering and this and that? And I was like, w-. and I was like, yeah, I'll do it, you know, and it was very uncomfortable. And it probably, honestly, the, the, the truth of the matter is, it probably wasn't very good. Probably everybody in that building was cringing for me because they could feel the awkwardness. But seven years later now, nobody there remembers that. Right. And now, you know, by the time I left there, you could ask me in the middle of service, text me like, hey, can you take over and do the rest of announcements? Okay. You know, because it became my comfort zone. You know, the first time people preach most time, it was very uncomfortable. And very bad. Yeah. But then a few years later, you just, it becomes comfortable. I can't help but think that's how witnessing would be and teaching Bible studies. Your first Bible study is going to be awkward. It may be bad. You may do a terrible job, but you've got to do that first one someday if you ever want to be a Bible study teacher. And whenever you come to an an opportunity where you say, oh, I don't know how to do that, that's what you need to do. And that's kind of a way I'm trying to more and more be conscious of living that way. Um, just the more things I can do that I'm not comfortable doing, the more I'm going to grow. You know, you don't grow by physically as far as muscle size by being yeah. comfortable. You got to get really uncomfortable. And in every endeavor in life, it's that adversity. It's the uncomfortableness. It's the, you know, pushing past the normal right. zone that get, brings growth. 
that's that's what God does to us. You know, it's just the scenario of the elastic. You know what I mean? Every time that God stretches you and your faith, He has to push you to an uncomfortable zone to stretch yeah. you, your faith, uh, your ability, your talents. You know, it just it. That's what it is. To grow, you have to get into an uncomfortable zone. And I think it kind of comes back. I didn't even plan on this, but it comes back to if you're not full of pride, you're a lot happier to do things that are uncomfortable. Right. And it really goes back to, I mean, God hates pride and he hates prideful people. That's what the Bible says. So we really got to take care of it. And, you know, we talked about it in our last one. People sometimes don't want to pray for sick people because, well, I don't want to make God look bad. Really, they just don't want to embarrass themselves, (laughs) you know. Um, And if we would... If we could ever get to the point where we really gave up the idea mm-hmm. of a reputation, of an right. ego, man, we could do a lot for God. We just have to make sure that our uh, prayer life is fully intact because we, I mean, we, you, need, you, you have to be able to be sensitive to, to God's pulling and the only way that can be is true being closer to Him. And so... yeah. You know, if your prayer life is lacking, you may want to step outside of your comfort zone, but that boldness that normally would be there probably won't quite be there because you're trying to do this on your own. Well, and to be fair, I mean, thanks for reining us back in. I don't want to get too crazy. I'm not saying just go around and do crazy stuff. Right. You know, jumping off of a cliff without a parachute is uncomfortable. <laughs> but it doesn't lead to growth. It's only uncomfortable when you land. Bro. You know, true. Um, you know, and so pushing boundary, getting out of your comfort zone, it's good. But, you know, especially in our context as a minister, it we have to be God-led. And that's what it comes down to, all of it. And you're right. If, if we can't even hear God telling us to stop and talk to those basketball guys. Well, there, there's no chance we're going to do it, you know. And, right. and it does. It comes back to we've got to just come and, and be a in a place of prayer. It all comes back to that. I've got to do better. I do. Many times it's because of you're right, Tim. Because of that pride and that flesh, you know, comes between between uh, the will of God and the will of man. And our will many times reigns. And uh, God's will get, doesn't get done, you know. The other thing, too, that just came to me is so often we, as ministers, the, the other thing that's difficult is we take on too much that God didn't call us to take on. And then we're too tired, don't have time to do what God wants right. us to do. Right. There's an analogy uh, someone made of a man climbing a mountain, and God gave him two small stones. And along the way, someone says, hey, can you carry this stone? And someone else says, hey, can you carry this stone? And someone else says, hey, can you carry this stone for me? And by the time he's halfway up the mountain, he's, I mean, loaded down. And he cries out and says, God, how could you do this to me and load me down? I can't make it. God says, I didn't give you all that. Yeah. You know, and so for us to to remember and to be careful not to just say yes to say yes. It's easy as a minister. We like people needing us. As ministers... I think we tend to, per, as a personality, be people pleasers, mm-hmm. and and we we want affirmation. I think ministers tend to be people who crave affirmation, not always, and, and um, but I think a larger percentage. And so we have to be very careful not to do things. Brother Pasley, I was just in a meeting with, and he was saying, you know, that 
he would look up and see his the heroes of faith that he thought of that they were just like always doing stuff and so he felt like well i gotta do what they do and a little more to get where they are and so he's like he ran himself yeah almost into the grave really and um and so we have to be very careful to only take what god gives us and when you're confident in him you don't have pride and you're confident in your relationship with him you can say no it's very hard to say no when you're not confident in you hearing God's yeah. voice and you're prideful, yeah. um, you know, and, and that big name guy says, "Hey, come preach for me." No, I, I'm, I, you know, I don't. That's not what God's asking me to do. That's hard to do if you're not sure. That's not what God's calling you to do, you know. And the other thing, man, we had some really good church this past Sunday. I preached a message, um, and it just it was. I, I didn't necessarily expect it. Like, I didn't realize it was going to be good. We've, But, man, I felt God's presence so strong. Altar call was good. Um, I pr- just preached on that That it's all about God's pleasure. Right. That we were created for God's pleasure and to please Him. And it's all about His purpose. His, And we so often forget. We think about His small will. God, I want to do your will. Well, His will is just the immediate um, application right, right. of His overarching eternal right, purpose. Right. Yeah. And and. Everything I do has to be about his purpose. I don't, you know, everything outside of his purpose is 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 a waste of time and missing the mark. Yeah, right. And 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 I've got to be about his purpose. And I just really kind of almost me almost my, probably to a fault. I like to cover ground in a sermon. I don't like to say the same thing multiple times. But really, a lot of people need that. But this one, I just kind of stayed there, and I was kind of feeling like I'm not getting anywhere. But I just, man. Partway through, man, I really felt God, and it was it felt really good. And I really think that's so key, you know. Even in in reaching the the world, it, it's got to be aligned with His purpose, you know. In our activity, it all has to be aligned with His purpose. And if it's about His purpose, then I, I I'll get out of my comfort zone. I've got to. It's the only way His purpose will be accomplished. It's the only way His kingdom's going to be built. Right. Yeah, I think that uh, both ways, you know. Uh, with uh, with the purpose of God and things to do with the kingdom of God and individually as a, as a person, if you want to grow in any area, like you said, even if you want to grow in the knowledge of of God and and the knowledge of what's going on, you gotta study. You gotta you gotta apply yourself. You gotta take yourself to uncomfortable places where you have to read. You know what I mean. Uh, to to know things, and uh, you gotta read the Bible. You gotta spend the time in prayer. You gotta uh, those those things are not comfortable. Fast, those things are not comfortable. It's simple, sounds simple, but uh, you you're stretching yourself, and then as an individual, you grow. You know, in different levels. Uh, Ryan, you want to wrap us up here? You see my eyebrow being raised. <laughs> I was enjoying it's listening. <laughs> I'm I'm putting you in an uncomfortable position. I'm just kidding. You're usually no, the closer, man. You're the you're the I'm, you're the bottom of the ninth closer. Yeah, well, I don't want to I don't want to drop the ball <laughs> and give a balk. <laughs> no, but I think I think the the reality is is that with any sort of growth, yeah, any sort of change. And it's true with how God created things, there's going to be discomfort. You can look at the yeah. biological system. You can look at everything that God has given us as examples. 
and anything that has any sort of change for the better, uh, yeah. you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Just ask any yeah. woman who's ever birthed a child into this world, and they will tell you that they were uncomfortable. But the miracle that was that was brought into this world was worth yeah. every second of it. Yeah. Mm. I feel a shiver. You <laughs> Well, and that shiver in my spine means it is right. time for us to wrap up. So we would love to keep talking, but we are going to bring this to a close. If you want to uh, hear or see the link to the article we referenced, um, that is going to be at behindthepulpitpodcast.com slash 35. Thanks again for listening. And until next episode, remember, you matter to the kingdom of God. Behind the Pulpit Podcast.